Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on the high country of North Carolina. So we are going to be doing a 10 episode deep dive into everything you need to know about buying a short term rental in this market. And we do have a few supplemental materials for y'all to check out over on our website. So any information that you need on pricing of short-term rental properties in this market, you can find it on our website at theshorttermshop.com. You can also find income data, thanks to our friends over at airdna.com. You can find that on our website, again, at theshorttermshop.com. If you guys are interested in buying a short-term rental property with a short-term shop agent in this market, you can email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com or you can join our Facebook group. We've created an amazing community with over 50,000 people where we talk about all short-term rental investing all day, every day. And you can join that. The name of the group is the same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And we look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, y'all. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the short-term shop market specific series on the high country. Today, we're going to be talking about common things that you are going to run into as you're managing a property in this market. So this is after you've already closed, you're up and running on the OTAs and things that you might run into with guests or weather or, you know, just common occurrences for the market. So I've got a pretty cool panel here today. A lot of familiar faces that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, first is Garrett Simmons. Garrett, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Yeah, absolutely. Avery, thanks for having me again. Uh, Garrett Simmons, broker on the short-term shop team up in the high country, North Carolina, that Boone, Blowing Rock, Banner Elk area, um, the Northwest corner of the state. Um, have have owned, bought and owned short-term rentals up here, have helped a ton of people uh, buy them and it's kind of our bread and butter up here. So happy to be on the show and uh, give all the insight I, I can. Thanks, Garrett. And next we have another familiar face, Joe Prilliman. Joe, introduce yourself for anybody who might not have listened to our other episodes yet. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Joe Prilliman, real estate agent and real estate investor. Been in the game for a while now and absolutely love it. Um, specializing in short-term rentals and whatnot and got them kind of across the state. So love the high country. It's a great little spot. And last but not least, we have Jay Lawrence. Jay, you want to introduce yourself to hey. Hey, I'm Jay Lawrence. I'm the agent over here in Western North Carolina, where I'm kind of in on the other end of uh, Garrett there. <laughs> um, but yeah, investor and uh, real estate broker over here in Western North Carolina, and um, really looking forward to doing some high country today. Awesome. So let's talk about some things that happen often that you're going to have to work around when you're managing a short-term rental in this market. So who wants to start? Who wants to to throw out the first topic? I want to take the ball and run with it this time. Um, right. Normally, you're always going to deal with like the want to check in early and check out late type stuff. But I found um, specifically with mine up here, the one thing that shocked me the most was during ski season, everybody wants to drop their stuff off early and then get to the slopes. And so that has been something that I wasn't expecting of, okay, like we got everyone asking if they can do that. So um, that's just something to be prepared for. It's like kind of out of the blue, didn't see it with like my beach properties and whatnot. Sure. Everyone wants to go to the beach, but they understand parking and waiting, but all these people want to get their stuff inside. So that was kind of a, an interesting little thing we had to deal with right off the bat. 
So how do you handle that when they want to do that? Because that can, I don't think that a lot of times guests don't realize how big of a hitch that can put in your systems, especially if someone's checking out that same day. So what's your remedy for that situation? So it's just excessively telling them no on that. So we have like a really, really clear, like whenever they're going to check in originally when they book that we cannot accommodate that because it was just a continuous question we got. And so we had to update our um, automated messages for when they booked to say, Hey, we just can't accommodate you coming in early. And so we let them know like it's all because of our cleaner schedule and um, things like that. They usually pretty receptive to that or do you get a lot of pushback? Pretty receptive. As long as we're setting that expectation early, it hasn't been a problem. But um, we had a lot of people that were just like, hey, like we're here and we want to put our stuff in and we don't see your cleaner. Well, sometimes they were getting there before our cleaner even got there. And so <laughs> it just uh, created all that fun jazz right off the bat. And so um, the little tweaks right off the bat and getting ready of just, hey, can't do that. That makes sense. So while we're on the subject of skiing and ski season, I have questions about access in the wintertime. So people are coming up to ski. Obviously, there's snow on the ground, maybe. So in the event that what what happens when there's like a winter storm, for example, and, and there's snow everywhere and access might be an issue? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, you know, I know we've touched about it on some other episodes, but I, I will say that the main roads um, are going to historically be plowed very quickly. It's, it's a town that expects a lot of snow a year, similar to like something in the Northeast. It's not like we can get an inch of snow and the whole town shuts down. Uh, we have the infrastructure and trucks and, and equipment to get that taken care of quickly. Um, where you're going to see, I, I would say where guests or anybody or locals are going to see the biggest uh, problems and struggles are going to be on some of the secondary roads or secondary driveways that aren't necessarily the common main roads. Um, you know, if you're going to, for if you're going straight to the ski resorts, you know, you're not really not going to have any sort of issue of getting up there unless you're in the middle of a storm, you're going up beach mountain, you know, and that, in that case, you're going to need four wheel drive, just like you were driving in the snow and four wheel drive anywhere. Um, but when you're getting to some of these properties that might be a little bit, you know, have some crazy secondary roads, um, you're really going to want, it kind of comes down to what Joe was talking about as far as disclosing in your listings. If you have a property like that, yes, you're going to want to, you know, make sure you have a handyman or some sort of independent contractor who can take care of the snow, uh, when it needs to be done. Um, that being said, um, it really is important to stress, Hey, you need four wheel drive in the wintertime. Um, there's, you know, and, and really double hammer it home to people because I've seen a lot of different situations where like, okay, yeah, no four wheel drive. I'm fine. I have the civic. And then they call you and they're stuck. And, you know, you learn that they are trying to get up a driveway with a two wheel drive sedan. And, you know, now some people are crazier than others. You, you will kind of learn with, as far as guest. you know, I know Joe had a situation where people were kind of timid about the thing, but his cleaners were getting in and out of it in their, you know, sedan. So it really wasn't too bad, but, you know, so there's that kind of line of being, you know, trying to be accommodating and hosting, but also really trying to disclose and nail down, Hey, you're coming in the wintertime, you're coming to ski and snowboard because there's snow in the ground and expect to, you know, have to drive through it. You know, you will have some people that, you know, know that, expect that. And that kind of adds to the excitement and thrill of them coming up to the mountains. Like, oh, this is cool. We're staying in this place. And it's like this adventure, four wheel drive. We're going to put some snow chains on and, you know, to get up to it. Um, but I, I have found that the more prepared people can be for that, expect the worst, then they're not going to be necessarily as pissed or, 
you know, surprise when they get there. Like, no, we warned this, you know, we might have to walk a certain way. And so it really is kind of property specific, but I would say these properties that have a super crazy driveway or a long secondary road that might not get plowed right away are going to be the ones you have to think about. And it's something to think about, you know, before we even purchase property. And I think that's a really good piece of advice is making sure that you're getting upstream of these problems with guests, making sure they know they need four wheel drive in the wintertime way ahead. Like make sure it mentions in your listing several times that that's the case because you will see a lot of them either not read one thing. So you want to hit them with this knowledge three or four times throughout the booking process, because uh, a lot of times people don't read. And I mean, I can't tell you even when, when I just have like a real estate listing that's out there uh, in public for the masses to see. And someone random will call me and ask me a bunch of questions that are right there in the description. So generally people do not read or finish reading. So you got to make sure that you get upstream of that by like hitting them with it a hundred times before they get there. Yeah. And I mean, like without, without going crazy into, you know, stories and details. And um, I, I have a cabin out uh, a little bit in, not in the sticks, but a little bit outside of town that uh, has crazy uh, road. It's gravel. It's, it's well-maintained, but it just gets, it doesn't get a lot of sunlight. It's really high elevation and freezes over in the wintertime. Well, the neighborhood is mixed of half rentals, half primary residents. And the primary residence people are get pissed because people try to make it up and then they leave their car in someone's yard and are like, Hey, we can't. And, and so there's this whole pushback between the neighborhood. Hey, these rentals, these renters, they, whatever. And uh, so there's a sign out there now and it's disclosed saying, Hey, if you leave your car, and somebody else's at, at the side of the road or you can't make it up, it will, you know, it will get towed by, you know, so-and-so. Um, and so, yeah, it pisses, it can piss off some guests, but when it's all like on in, in this situation, when it's in all caps plastered everywhere, Hey, before you book, make sure you are prepared. Um, it can, you know, kind of cover you as far as, you know, someone leaves a bad review and they kind of look like an idiot because they can also someone can clearly see on your listing that it says, "Hey, four wheel drive, four wheel drive. This is a crazy road." You know, not only do you need four wheel drive, but you might even need some chains too, kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, can't stress enough about um, getting upstream, like you mentioned. So, how do you go about finding a person to either salt the roads pre-snow or? get rid of the snow after it's snowed where do you typically find somebody like that is that just your handyman or who does that is that a special yeah, person i would say if it's not your handyman your handyman's going to know somebody uh, i would try to start with the neighbors if you have any um as far as you know I, if you have a neighborhood that uh someone maintains the neighborhood hoa and it's not necessarily it won't take care of your driveway per se per, with your HOA dues, but if you can get in contact with him, um, he's going to be right by your driveway. And so if you can try to pay him on a cost per, you know, Hey, I know you're taking care of the neighborhood and can I give you a hundred bucks to do my driveway too? Um, it's, you know, I would start there. Um, and, uh, from there just kind of asking around, there's a lot of, I mean, there's even some college kids that will, I had friends in college that would hook a plow onto their front of their forerunner in the wintertime and try to make a buck. Um, you can go on, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace is huge up in this area just because there are a lot of college kids that if you want, you know, need kind of cheap labor, come to get trash out of your house or, you know, uh, little odds and ends, odd jobs. Um, there's a lot of uh, college kids that will do stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I would start with the neighbors and then kind of work around and, you know, maybe talk to your handyman and and uh, and try to find somebody. 
I know up here in Western North Carolina, there's there's people that are just on standby. As soon as they hear that it's about the storm or snow, man, there's people in their individual trucks ready to go. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of options, I think, for uh, for getting that done. I mean, and your handyman could salt your driveway as well. So, I mean. Right. I think another big thing, too, that can scare a lot of people that are investing up here or down in a mountain market, um, you know, is that people really expect at least up here, the labor, the contractors, the work, like you're typically not going to deal with someone that has a website, maybe not even an email address. There's a lot of just like old, good, old, good people, good labor, but it's not necessarily the traditional way that we're like, I know in a world where we're trying to automate everything, we're trying to be like, tech this, tech this, remote this. It can be a little, there's a little bit of trust in being like, Hey, I know this guy, he's only going to answer, he, he, you know, he might only answer his phone during the hours and it might, ha- I might have to call him instead of email him or, you know, text, he doesn't answer text or whatever it is. Um, and he's going to be reliable, but you know, you kind of have to adapt to the communication of some of the local people. Um, and it's not necessarily like, Hey, I'm, I, you know, you can't go on task rabbit, like you might be able to do in some of these other giant markets where, everything's automated and everything's a little bit more easy to do. And so um, that can that can scare a lot of people initially, uh, I think, when it's like, oh, man, I need to make sure I have this, 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 and this. And it's like, there's people up here. You just kind of have to be, you know, you have to kind of adapt to the style and, you know, how everything kind of works up here and not necessarily try to come in and be like, hey, I'm this out-of-town, and you know, out-of-town investor and this is how this is going to be, et cetera. Um, because there's a lot of locals that We'll take care of you if you do them right and are kind of like, you know, you're not coming into town like you, you know, run the place. Like run the place, yeah. Exactly. Not coming in being like, I'm I'm here to to revolutionize this market. I've I've seen investors have that attitude before. And typically what happens is they get they learn that okay, no, I'm actually not gonna be able to do this. And then they adapt to the market. So that's a, a really good t- lots of good tips there. So something different about this market than a lot of the markets that we operate in is that there's that pool of college kid labor for odd jobs. So like a lot of other markets, you know, there's not a college right there. So that's definitely a pro tip. Um, and then also, you know, adapting your style of communication or your style of work to the market and not trying to make the market fit what you do. So all, all really good tips. So is there anything else related to weather that we have to manage in this market often? So before we move on, so like frozen pipes, do we have to tell our guests to drip the faucets, anything like that in the wintertime? 100%. If it's going to be extremely cold, um, make sure that you've got good insulation, you've got your pipe warmers set up um, across the board. And it also depends on the the type of construction you have and how old the building is. But being prepared for something like that is just, uh, it it's crucial here whenever you're going to get into some of those colder temperatures that come through in the winter. Yeah, Western North Carolina, we don't get super cold, but we did have that negative one snap that came through here. It's always a good idea to mitigate that and have that in place um, you know, better safe than sorry kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, this year around Christmas, same thing. I think everyone kind of got it. We got it super bad every once, every maybe five, six, seven years, we'll get a crazy freezing like that, where I know Joe's pipes frozen. There was people in the unit, uh, which is, you know, crazy unheard of. Typically you have, you know, you hear about pipes freezing with someone that, you know, the house has been vacant for a little bit. Um, but when temperatures get negative 20 degrees, which they did um, with wind chills even more than it, it can be. Negative can 20? Be, yeah, I think it was negative. Joe, Mike, was that, is that right? It was like negative 20. 
One hundred percent. It was terrible. Oh my god! Was like oh my negative, god. negative, was, negative twenty with like negative forty winds. Something crazy. I mean, something astronomical. That obviously we're not. I mean, it's it was horrible. It was on Christmas right Eve. Yeah, hey, the uh, best Christmas Eve I ever had. I got to drive yeah. up there and try to unfreeze people's pipes because can't couldn't get anybody to work on Christmas. We right. only got negative three over here, but uh, I had a listing that that the pipe bust in the house, and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. It's definitely, definitely something to think about. I would say on a normal, you know, normal winter, um, you know, up here, a lot of the, a lot of the second home vacation homes, people will turn their water off when they're not here. Obviously, you know, I know my, uh, it's a little bit, you know, like my parents, for instance, my mom is, has seen enough horror stories. She has it in her checkout instructions to her guests to turn the water on and off. Um, and then the cleaning lady will turn it back on. Sometimes people do it. Sometimes people don't. Um, but depending on how easy, if it's a condo, sometimes the water shut off is super easy in a closet and it's a good habit to get people into just turn the water off. Um, if it's a, if, if it's an easy water shut off, obviously that's not happen. That's not possible in every, um, scenario, or if your cleaner can do that, they can make sure the water is, you know, on and off. Um, and, uh, that can be again a, a precaution that I have some clients do and some clients don't. I, yeah, I feel like that's sort of getting in the territory of like people being like the Airbnb host made me mow their lawn. Um, so uh, do you have, does she ever see pushback on asking people to turn off the water? No, she doesn't, um, which kind of surprises me. I mean, this is the same. My mom kind of functions a little bit different than most people because she controls her property a little more, but I mean, she's, she, I guess discloses it. Hey, you're gonna have to turn the water on. You know, it's right here. It, again, it's a condo, so it's super easy. It's just like it's in a closet. Um, and so yeah, it's a the only thing that can be a little bit if it's hot water, then if they want to take a shower immediately. Again, it, it really kind of depends on your property. Um, but um in those instances, like in the wintertime, it's it's really nice to have the water on and off, even if you have two or three days between your guests, especially when you have, especially like that in the wintertime where you might have a, a slow week or you have a weekend and you have four or five days between your next guest or in the spring or whatever. Um, it, it uh, yeah, I, I guess there's two philosophies to it, but um, it's just kind of how much you want to cover yourself. Awesome. So let's move on from cold weather what are some other things? So here's a question. What do you do about trash removal in this market? Does the trash man come or does your cleaner take it or how does that work? Yeah, great question. I don't think that's, I, I might have even skipped that uh, in the in the expense in the expense pod. But so typically up here, uh, again, similar to well and septic, mo majority of properties, unless they're in a condo complex, you're going to be responsible for your own trash. Um, I've seen, I've seen people do it a couple different ways. There's a, pri there's our, there is a private trash company, uh, called, it's called Vixter. Uh, and there's a couple of them, I believe that will basically come on a subscription basis and come get your trash, just like a city trash will do. They, they have a, it looks like a trash truck for all intents and purposes. It's just like the trash man at your, you know, urban city sewer, except your taxes aren't paying for it. You got to pay for it monthly. Typically it's 50 to hundred bucks, depending on the size of your property or how much trash you're having. Um, so that is an option for people. Uh, so I know some clients, if it's a smaller property, if they have a good relationship with their cleaner, their cleaner will take the trash and they'll take it to the landfill for them. Um, that's can sometimes be an option as well. Um, I, I kind of get back into the weeds of what you're talking about of guests, you know, doing cutting the lawn for you. Some people will make sure that the guests take the trash out at least to the trash bin. Um, you know, that can sometimes still be a slippery slope because if you don't have bear proof trash cans, um, your 
trash cans will get torn up by bears and then, oh, it's yeah, a huge, they will. then it's a huge mess. So um, if you are going to have guests take your trash out for you to a trash you know, bin, definitely make sure you have your, it's in some sort of cage or some sort of bear proof um, container, uh, not just a trash bin outside or else, you know, you're better off than just leaving it in there and having your cleaners take care of it. So um, as far as the immediate thing, that that's how a couple of different people do trash. Um, I have found that the time where the cleaner can get it is maybe like if you're in a condo where they have a dumpster, a communal dumpster, that's part of the HOA. Um, the cleaner, it's a little bit easier for the cleaner to just get the trash and, you know, throw it in the dumpster on their way out. And that's a little bit something easier and you don't have to put that on your guest. Um, but, uh, yeah, private trash companies and or cleaners, a mix of it, but definitely, uh, keeping, keeping an eye out for, those bears and it sounds crazy, but they're all over the place, especially in the, in the summertime. Oh yeah. Joe, what's your experience? Same thing. I've got the bear, uh, traps out there to not, not bear traps, but the, uh, the bear trash. Traps. The bear traps. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be crazy. Uh, but no, I've got the, uh, individual bear cages for, uh, the trash cans and whatnot. And we pay the local company to come pick it up. And, um, they're actually required in my HOA because we had such a problem with people coming through. And so, um, kind of like you mentioned early on getting above stream, like getting ahead of all these problems that are coming through, it's about setting those expectations. And so we got to the point where people are having trouble, um, getting into the, uh, cages to like put the trash. And so, um, I heard this on a, I think it was management Monday actually, where they were talking about, uh, Luke was doing this new thing where he was sending out videos of how to do it. And so we went through and like, we took videos of our driveway of exactly how to get there, how to open the bear cages, how to do all this cool stuff and did it as unlisted, uh, YouTube videos with links in our check-in instructions that go automatically. And so that changed the game like crazy for us from just a operation standpoint. So it's not common for the cleaners to just take the trash in this market. Mm-hmm. No, you very common have- for them to put it outside for you, but okay. not yeah. common for them to take it with you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it just kind of all depends. Yeah. I mean, if it's a, I've seen it in some of the smaller properties. I mean, Joe has six units altogether. So if a cleaner's coming to turn over, you know, four or five units, they're not going to put four or five units worth of trash in their, you know, Honda Civic. If someone's just cleaning one condo or a small house and there's one trash bin, you might be able to find a cleaner who's like, yeah, I can do that. Or the tra- or the dump when the trash area is literally a mile, you know, half mile away from the ha- property. It really kind of all depends on where your house is, size of your house, and you know who's doing it and and what your cleaner you know yeah so not necessarily 100 percent of the time not saying it's completely uncommon but it really just kind of depends on your property all right and what about if you have a hot tub do the cleaners typically take care of hot tub cleaning and light maintenance or do you have to hire a separate person yeah, I, I have found. I know we've also touched a, a little bit on that in some other po- in some other pods. Um, some cleaner, it really depends on your cleaner. Some cleaners have worked with hot tubs, some don't, uh, and, and you have to kind of either teach them or find a cleaner that can do that. I would say the regular stuff, as far as you know, popping a tab of chlorine or popping some bromine in, um, regular you know routine stuff a cleaner can do. Um, I know it's easier if you can get your cleaner on board with that because you don't have to worry about somebody else having access to your calendar and figuring out when they can get in to do service because, you know, if a hot tub guy just schedules the first of every month, there could be a chance that there's a very good chance that there's going to be somebody in there. So having that cleaner, being able to do that, I have um, I have seen in properties. I don't have any hot tubs personally in, in my property, but um, I, I have seen that the cleaners 
if you can get the good ones to do that, that that would be ideal. Jay, how is that down in your area? It's pretty similar to that. Um, a lot of the cleaners um, will agree to do that. I know a lot of these um, the the property managers that are around here. They have their cleaning staff, and, the, and their cleaning staff will clean the hot tubs as well in some of the cabin communities. But um, you know. You know, if it depends on it's situational, I guess. I mean, if if there's stuff floating in your hot tub and stuff like that, you might throw your person a little extra, but because that's you know that's nasty. But uh, um, that they definitely will, and they are trainable to do that for you up here too. Right. I, this is actually a question I have, Avery. You might know this better with dealing with hot tubs and the Smokies. Is it common for people to? I actually have clients that ask me this. Is it common for people to drain their hot tub? every time or how often yeah or? yeah in the smokies they have to be drained in between every guest in tennessee and i've actually this is kind of why i brought this up because i've heard people in north carolina argue that it's like a pool and you don't have to drain it every time which is absolutely foul to me <laughs> but uh so i think it's uh, it's different everywhere but it's common in the smokies that they drain it after every guest interesting because i would say the majority of people that i know up here, do not drain their hot tub. They do treat it like a pool. Um, Neither here either. And I've, I guess I've been ignorant. I don't, I wouldn't just like, yeah, chlorine kills all. <laughs> well, I mean, I know that there's a big debate about that. And I don't know, you know, I'm not a, a doctor or a scientist or an engineer or a hot tub person. But when you think about it, it is pretty darn nasty to never drain off because, you know, it's not a pool where it's like really, really big and any potential like body oils or skin particles are spread way out. It's like a tiny bathtub that a bunch of people got it like all of my properties in the mountain markets have hot tubs, but you will never catch me. Even though I know my cleaner cleans them in between, like you will never catch me in a hot tub in my entire life. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I mean, I'm definitely for draining your hot tub, but every, you know, if you have a condo or whatever where you're draining it, then eight times a month or between everything, it's like, I know this initial yeah. setup, it's like you're, it's a lot more chemical, like you're dealing with fresh water. So you got to start from scratch on it as like far as like putting test strips in, testing with all the things versus just maintaining the maintenance of it, which, yeah, I guess without owning a hot tub, I can kind of be on the sidelines and be like, oh, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'll jump in a hot tub no matter where it is, what I don't, I don't ask questions, um, mm. which I guess is one of my skills. Take your simply. antibiotics, take your vitamins. Yeah. It's like those garden Joe, tubs. Joe, do people drain their hot tubs every time at the beach? Uh, not every time, but yeah. uh, <laughs> definitely do it more often than you do. Yeah. Once well, a week. <laughs> all right. So while we're on the subject of water in some markets, I know in some mountain markets where there are wells, sometimes the guests will get to the property and they'll go to like take a shower or something. And the water pressure will be really low and they'll have to call us and say, Hey, the water pressure's low, which means we have to go like change the well filter. Is that common in that market too? Cause I know you guys have a lot of wells. So do you ever have like well issues that you have to deal with? Yeah. Uh, I would not say, I would not necessarily say that we're just immune to well issues. I would say that overall kind of hearing without being a Smokies expert, but hearing some, some stories and stuff from stuff in the Smokies, I, I would say it's not as bad just because we are, we do kind of have that subtropical climate and we get a lot of rain and snow. And so it's just a lot, it's not as dry up here. So we 
don't hear about wells running dry as much, but yes, well, well filter is definitely going to be, there's definitely going to be some routine well maintenance that needs to be done. Some people just think, Hey, I have a well, I don't have to pay for water. And it's true. Um, but there's definitely some routine things. A well filter, you're right, is a perfect example of something that you can pick up at Lowe's or Walmart that every year or six months needs to be replaced. And some people might think about, forget about it. And it's been two or three years. And before you know it, their well filters caked and, you know, now their water's dirty or it's got something in it. So um, I think some having something, you know, checking something on your calendar reminders that every year to make sure you're, you know, keeping up with your well filter, doing whatever it needs, whether that be a well inspection or, you know, it's, it's overall very cheap for, for well maintenance as far as pumps and et cetera. Um, you know, I just had someone come shock a well that had coliform in it and they shocked it with chlorine and ran through the system was all good. It was a hundred bucks. Um, so it's definitely something to think about. Um, I would say that, um, it happens a little bit. It doesn't happen as much as maybe some other areas. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just keeping, keeping reminders and keeping tabs to, to for your, not much, but they, you know, routine, well, uh, well maintenance. Do you have a lot of shared well, um, agreements up there? Cause I know we do here and that it's very important to know the guy that, uh, the, the guy's number that the well is actually on his property who maintains yeah. it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of figuring out there's a, there is always on a shared well agreement. There's always going to be a well president or, you know, who's in charge of taking the well. Typically it's the person who's <laughs> well, well is president. On. Yeah, I actually am the well president now. Uh, I have a shared well with a neighbor um, that I drilled. And so, uh, yeah, it, having that things in agreement, making sure that they're okay, they're taking care of it. You're paying your well dues on time, your shared well dues. Um, and uh, yeah. All right. He's the, he's the one to call when something breaks on that. So, yeah. Right. I, I, I mean, cool I would also to say too, I would also say too. So, like up here, there was only about, one and a half companies that will drill a well. So like if you have a well drilled, there's like a monopoly, it's Dewey right. And typically when you're buying a house, you can call Dewey right and be like, Hey, did you drill this well? And they're like, yeah. Or if it's a shared well in a neighborhood, they're like, yeah, we drilled that in the 85 and it only brought, it only brings in two gallons a minute. And then we had to go back in, in 1990 and drill it even deeper. And so then from there, I'm like, I've had, I've looked at some land that's like, that's like, okay, there's shared well access. And I called the well company and they're like, yeah, that well isn't really great. And it's been great for like the first 20 years when there was only one house in the neighborhood. And now there's seven houses on it. And it's like, I would not bet on that well. Um, so that's something to think about as well, as far as your due diligence, not necessarily afterwards, but prior to be like, okay, if it is a shared well, how many gallons a million am I getting? You know, I, I just mentioned me giving a shared well to my neighbor. I got 30 gallons a minute, which could hold, you know, easily have 15 houses on it. So the neighbor is going to be like, yeah, I'll give you a shared well. And then when I sell the property, if I sell the property, it's not going to be a huge issue because I can be like, Hey, this 30, I share it with the neighbor, but there's 35 gallons a minute and it's two one bedroom little studio houses. So we're not worried about. Um, so it's, it's definitely something to think about in your due diligence, uh, as far as how much water you're pumping out. Any, any well obviously can run dry at any time, but, um, there definitely are stronger wells than others. Yeah. And you can also add a, you know, a holding tank that's kind of popular in, in this area too, but, um, you know, that'll just keep like a reserve of water in there for you as well. So. Yeah. I don't have no much experience people doing that. Yeah. I, I know I've heard of that down in the Smokies area. Um, that sounds kind of like a off the grid camper pour water on your head holding tank. But yeah, I have heard people doing that. <laughs> and you're yeah. 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 That is pretty common in the Smokies to have a, a holding tank. So then 
you've got, you know, X amount of gallons of water if something, you know, the well's taking a long time to refill or something. So you're not actually having to wait on the well. Yeah. A lot of new wells that go in right now, they'll put in a giant holding tank like next to the well so you can tap into it. So I know that a lot of new, new digs do that now. Awesome. All right. Let's move on from the well thing. Let's talk about wildlife and pests. So we've established that you have bears, you have to keep, you know, you can't just have trash outside because the bears will come get into it. And, and when a bear gets into your trash, it's not like, okay, they made a mess of about, you know, four square feet. It will be all up and down the hill. You'll never be able to get to everything if you're on a slope and they will keep coming back. Once they find it once, they'll keep coming back looking for it. So we know you have to have either the bear-proof trash cans or just keep the trash inside. Is there anything else in terms of large mammals or reptiles that we have to worry about before we get into the insects? Oh, Avery, let me tell you about my groundhog. Um, what? <laughs> my gosh. Um, he lives under unit one at my property, and he's popped up on like three reviews so far. But I have the largest groundhog on the face of this planet underneath this house. And I have personally gone and tried to get like get this guy, and he, he's Houdini. He's gone every time. And he digs these massive holes underneath my crawl space, and then he just takes off. I mean, it's... I'm going to get him back, but I mean, he's massive. I can't keep him out. It's like, like the gopher from Caddyshack. But the funniest, the funniest thing is that we're like, I remember when Joe, you know, closed and we, I was like, dude, you got a groundhog living under your property. How do you even know you like, have it? I would not I've know. I've seen it. Because he's in the reviews. Because I was in there. I don't even know what a groundhog is. So, groundhog. so it's funny because there's this fat groundhog. I'm like, I've seen this thing, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, this is a problem. We got to figure out how to get rid of this. But then you see a review and it's like five stars. The wildlife here is amazing. I could sit on my back porch. I even saw a ground. I saw deer. I even saw a groundhog like swimming around. And so it's like become an added amenity. There's like a, a ground. You're making money off him now. I don't know if he's an amenity. I still don't like him. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we have groundhogs. We've got deer. We've got uh, all the classic wildlife. And uh, Wait, it does show back up to the groundhog. What does a groundhog do to a ho- like? Why does he have to go somewhere? Oh, I it, don't know. I mean, I, that's a great question. I don't he's think he's trying to like he's warm. like. It's not like he's like chewing through the wires or anything. I mean, I guess if he did, he not would. that we know of. Not that We're trying to keep him from doing that. <laughs> but. Yeah, deer's deer's super popular. I like up on Beach Mountain. A bunch of the property owners feed the deer, so they run around like they walk around just like dogs. They're not scared of anything, um, uh, which is I guess kind of cool to some people. Um, I think. Do you have elk out there? We have uh, elk here, and and they're like deer on steroids. Yeah, we used to. They're reintroducing them. Um, I haven't seen one up yeah. here. They're supposed to be floating around up here. I would love to see them. They're kind of like my spirit animal. I love elk. Oh, um, well, they're definitely here. Bears are there. I mean, bears. It's hard to really stop this. I've had a. I had a client whose bear went through someone's car that was unlocked um, and left, and the and the guest came out the next morning, and all their doors were open, and. We're like nothing stolen, but just so you know, and they checked the camera and the bear had gone through the car. So make sure your guests are locking their car and not keeping. Oh yeah. Food. And even if you don't lock it, don't leave food in there because they can still smell it and they'll try to get in even if they can't. Yeah. So yeah, bears, uh, they'll do everything. Um, I would say, yeah, the groundhogs, the deers, uh, and then yeah, pests and insects, which I guess the plethora of squirrels. What squirrels do, you have, uh, do you have a lot of mountain lions out that way too? What? Mm-hmm. 
You know, we do have mountain lions. I don't, they're, do. they're not yeah. as common. Um, I've never seen you know, one in person, but hy- uh, hyenas we have. You do not have hyenas. hyenas. Those are in Africa. <laughs> is it coyotes? Is it coyotes or hyenas? Ca- we have coyotes. Coyotes. No, those are coyotes. coyotes. Oh, a hyena? <laughs> no, we got, uh, yeah, I know. They might be hyenas. I've seen Lion King. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. they yell. No, coyotes. We got coyotes. Yeah. We do have mountain lions. I have, I have had friends that have seen them like hunting um and like out in the woods i have never seen one but um well you, i mean you just destroyed your credibility saying you have hyenas yeah really <laughs> <laughs> they're all in the same family i meant to say like the coyotes they like they kind of they talk i don't know i meant coyotes okay. we've got a panther up here somewhere people keep saying i've got a giraffe no, <laughs> all right Crazy. moving on from lion king hey, tigers tiger king let's all right, that's Myrtle Beach. Let's move on to insects. Are there any? What's the uh, insect situation? Do you guys have ladybug season there? Holy crap, we do. <laughs> they they swarm. Tell us what that and, is. Um, at the end of their cycle, they just swarm and like make these big patches everywhere. And and you'll have ladybug here and there on you. I've never really seen them like congregate inside the house, but um, the only thing worse than them is there's a there's a stink bug problem too. So. What do uh, ladybugs like, look like? I don't know if we have those. Garrett, what do you what mean? Do you, what what do does ladybug a ladybug look, look like? like? Oh, like the little red things with the blo- dots on them. Black, the Somebody beetles, yeah. Off of this zoom, yes, a ladybug. Garrett, what do you think a ladybug looks know, lady, like? That doesn't sound too PC. It's turning um, into the roast of Garrett. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. I mean, I don't. I don't really think. A, I don't think that's a huge problem up here. I don't know if Joe's ever had seen them in there. I mean, I think they're. I've seen, I remember seeing those so much. Sometimes we don't, it's not a huge pandemic of it's a little bit too cold, I think, um, up there okay. for them. But I get more of them in kind of that Winston area. And then I know Western North Carolina, they're real bad too, but um, they don't swarm quite as bad up there. But we do get them. Yeah. The hyenas scare them away. Yeah. yeah. And the panthers and the tigers and giraffes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in some areas in the Southeast, when it starts to get cold, swarms of ladybugs will get into houses and you won't ever see them alive. They'll, it'll just be like a big pile of dead ones in the, in the corner. And there's really not anything you can do to prevent that. You just have to um, clean them up. And Chuck on the, on the Smoky mountain one on the Tennessee side on the Smoky mountain episode like this, he said he keeps a little dust buster that says four ladybugs next to the, mm. next to the uh, fireplace. So people can use it. So anyway, uh, anything else we need to watch for or anything not necessarily watch for, but preventative maintenance in terms yeah. of pests? Uh, yeah, termites are big up here. Um, you know, you have a lot of log cabins made of all wood uh, and termites like wood. Same with carpenter bees. Carpenter bees, yeah. are huge up here. Um, and that's something to think about. Um, uh, yeah, just your regular normal pest control. Normal pest control can be a quarterly mm-hmm. service that you kind of sign up for, um, and uh, you can get a pest inspection. I'm trying to think what else. Are stink I bugs bad up there? I know they're they're pretty bad over here. Well, I've never had, I've never seen or heard of people having stick mug issues. Um, I mean, yeah, the typical stuff we have, people have bats in their attic. If it's a super old house, I've seen. Oh yeah, let's talk bat. about that. Um, so, do you get it when? Do you have, uh, I know in other areas we see bats, we see flying squirrels happen occasionally where you have to call a wildlife company. So what happens if say you buy a house up there and your guest starts complaining about things making noise, or I've seen a bat fly out at somebody in a property before. So who do you call? How do you find a person to come take care of that? 
Yeah. Um, one of my good friends actually works. Uh, he does a lot of my pest inspections and works for a pest company up here. So um, I always recommend people getting a pest inspection during the due diligence or inspection period. Um, and if you have a good one, they'll be able to go through your attic, go through your crawl space. Hey, you got termite damage. Hey, I think you got bats in your attic. Um, and hopefully that can be yeah, ideally be re- you know remedied before you're buying the property. Now, if that happens, once you take control or whatever. Um, that is a beauty. That is the beauty of having being, a, you know, subscribed to a pest subscription where, Hey, they're going to come quarterly. But if you do have a problem, bed bugs, um, bats, whatever it is, they're going to come out and take care of that. And it's going to be, you know, on call, it's going to be included in your subscription. So that's another, um, benefit of, of kind of being subscribed to a pest. Um, as far as bats, you probably know this better than me, Avery. I- I'm pretty sure they're since they're like a protected species, you can't kill them. You have to like no. figure yeah, out how to get them out of their house. And so the pest company has a way to do it. Um, but yeah, it's not like do. you can set up animal control know. should be able to do it too. Mm-hmm. They're dangerous too. I mean, like there, there's a lot that can go Rabies. into that. So don't ever try to mitigate something like that yourself. Like call a professional. Um, yeah. I had a raccoon in a house uh, of mine, actually. Um, it wasn't up in the mountains. It was down at Winston, but um, it was living in the walls. Yeah, that happened in our actually our primary home last summer. There was a piece of like siding that wasn't done right or something and and some got in and it was a whole thing with Luke having his Luke I came downstairs. I was trying to just ignore the situation. I came downstairs and Luke was on a ladder with like the surround sound plate, speaker plate like removed from the ceiling with his head in there and I'm like, "What are you what are you going to do if you stick your head up there and the raccoon's right there looking at you? Like, what are you planning to do? So anyway, you call wildlife exclusion service for all of these things is, is the answer. Uh, all right. So anything else before we go that you guys want to make sure that listeners hear about, you know, things that they might run into while managing a property. Yeah. The only other thing that I would say, uh, is not necessarily run-ins, but just something to keep a, uh, keep an eye out for is, you know, because we're more of it, we're such a year round market up here. There's a lot of events and weekends and things that will happen up here that I think it's important for people to mark on their calendar um, for pricing. And I know we can get in that, you know, when we talk pricing, but, you know, whether that's parents weekend of the university where 25,000 people's parents are coming into town and you can, you know, upcharge there. Um, there's a big giant festival in the fall. It's called the Woolly Worm Festival. There's a, this Scottish games that happen out, uh, high, the Highland the games. Woolly Worm? Yeah, the Woolly Worm Festival. There's like, they race oh, these little the things. Worm. It's this huge fall festival. Is that like a hyena? Denerok. Yeah, it's kind of like a hyena. Hyena but, worm. Hyena worm, yeah. Um, but, I, but so yeah, keeping an eye out for those special weekends, you know, I would, I would circle every home football game. Uh, if you're in and around Boone, because you're going to get a premium there and people are going to book people when that schedule comes out, people are going to book something well in advance. And so you might, you know, if you're not thinking about some of that stuff, um, you know, um, those obviously the snow is a little bit harder because if it snows on a random Tuesday, you know, you know, you're not prepared for that three months in advance. Um, but some of these big events kind of getting, you know, looking into, um, People that are coming in town, the university is huge, the, the, kind of checking out those weekends and then some of the fall festivals and stuff like that. Um, and I know, again, we can get that in, into the into the weeds there with the pricing stuff, but just keeping an eye on of for uh, for ongoing events. Um, I wanted to add something, too, about the roads. I, I think it's probably similar to you because we're kind of in the mountains up here. Um, 
if you're if you have a property that does not it's not paved and it doesn't have like a road maintenance agreement, you are on the hook for like fixing your own gravel and stuff on your driveway and keeping your own stuff yeah. maintained. So if that's if there's no road maintenance agreement that you're part of, that that's going to fall on you to keep your drives and everything clean and clear. Yeah, great point. Yeah, and I, I will say to add on to that, it's kind of a double edged sword with gravel. Um, I know some neighborhoods. And roads will do will have gravel on purpose because it's better. It's harder to plow, traction, but yeah. it's better traction in the winter time. So it's not a, just a slick sheet of ice. When you do have snow, you can get through the gravel more. Um, that being said, when it does get plowed a bunch of times, it does need to be regraded. Maybe not once a year. Maybe one, you know, two or three years. So if you do have a say a long gravel driveway, um, you know, you might be a little bit better as far as traction, but you definitely want to be budgeting exactly what Jay's saying, uh, someone to come out with a, you know, backhoe and a grader to grate the driveway and flatten it out, you know, maybe once a year or maybe every couple ever, you know, once every two years, depending on how much rain you get in the summertime, because the rain will, you know, create big giant ruts in some of the gravel, depending on the thing or the plows in the, in the, uh, in the wintertime. So yeah, great point. That's something to think about if you have gravel. Um, I would not, it's not necessarily a stay away, um, but just something to consider is that, you know, you're going to get better traction in the wintertime. It's super steep. Um, but, uh, there's definitely going to be some ongoing maintenance with, with a gravel road or driveway. Yeah. Yeah. There are pros and cons to it. And, and typically I know like, you know, the maintenance men up here, they can go get a truckload of gravel for you and kind of gravel that out, fill in spots. You know, you might have to hire somebody to come grade it, but, uh, we get a ton of rain here too. So that's a good point. And we do get those ruts as well. So. Yeah. I got one more random, uh, little piece, but, uh, if you have propane, um, and you have like fireplaces and whatnot, most people can't figure out how to turn those on. And so go ahead and take a video of you lighting the pylite and turning the fire on for them. Um, we get that question all the time. Yeah, we switched all of our gas fireplaces to electric because there's so many people that like, A, don't realize that the pilot light is supposed to be on and, and blow it out or they can't figure out how to do it. And it just made us really nervous with thinking that someone's going to like turn the gas on and not be able to figure it out and blow themselves up or kill themselves in some other way, maim themselves. Uh, And then also just the continued, we blew the pilot light out and we have to call somebody to come do it. It just became too many things. So we switched everything to electric, which, you know, of course there's, that has its own set of problems. Like it's not going to heat the house if the power goes out like a gas fireplace would, but you know, it looks um, ugly. Well, they, these are not bad ones, but yeah, it does nothing looks as good as like a real wood fireplace, but this is not about what I would want in my house. It's about how yeah. little of a pain in the ass can it be for me? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Anybody got anything else before we go? I think I'm good. I would like for everyone who's listening to know that Garrett just put in the chat of our our zoom right now an article about a man that ran into something that looked like a hyena in this area. So feel free Probably to do your idea. own research there. North Carolina man reports encounter with hyena like creature. It should be Florida man though. Might've been me. I think I'm going to anyway. compete in those Highland games too, Garrett. I think I can throw a caber. Throw your killed on. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, man. All right. Well, if y'all want to buy a house with us in the high country, email agents at the short term shop.com. Or if you just have questions, want to learn more, join one of our weekly calls at strquestions.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Avery. Take, take care.